6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Isaiah, chapters 50 through 52. See, then the Lord God hath pierced mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned backward. Okay, now I'd like to pause here, and uh, before we get into a solution, I'd like to explore a bit the problem. Turn with me for some review to Luke chapter 24. It's interesting how in some of these familiar stories there are issues that are troublesome, that, are, that leave us a little um, disturbed at times. Luke chapter 24, we of course have the resurrection in the first 12 verses, the morning, what we call Easter morning. And then in uh, verse 13, picking up at about verse 13, we have the famous event that I'm so fond of, called the Emmaus Road Experience. Two disciples are on their way to Emmaus, which is about seven-mile walk. It's quite a walk. As they walked along, they talked. And it's interesting that as they were talking to each other, Jesus himself joins them. But verse 16 has a strange phrase that none of us know what it means. But their eyes were holden that they should not recognize him. What does that mean? I have no idea. Some scholars say, well, they were supernaturally veiled, so they couldn't see who Christ was. Well, that's a possibility. I don't reject it. But I am tri- I'm intrigued because these two disciples were disciples. They're not, they're not of the twelve, perhaps, but they were followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, they're quite upset because they're walking along and they're really blue. They're really down. They're really discouraged over the events of the recent days. And Jesus says to them, What manner of communication are these that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? What's the problem, guys? One of them, his name was Cleopas, answering, said to him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast thou not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And Jesus says, I love it, What things? <laughs> you know, like what's new, you know? <laughs> what things? Jesus is very... I find him very amusing here because he talks about himself later in the third person. The Lord Jesus Christ talking about himself in the third person. I think it's interesting. He said, what things? He said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. And we'd hoped that it had been he who would have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also in our company amazed us who were early at the sepulcher, and they found not his body. They came saying, they'd also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. So they recount to this stranger a summary of the depressing events, as far as they're concerned, of the last few days. And the more I read this, the more puzzled I am. Were they followers of Jesus Christ? 
And he's standing there. Why didn't they recognize him? They don't know who he is. He's a stranger. He's standing right there. They don't know who he is. Hey, stranger, don't you know what's going on? Hey, let me tell you. And they explained to him uh, what was going on. Verse 25, Then he said unto them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? I love that phrase. Here's Christ talking to them, third person. Haven't you guys done your homework? Then, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew near unto the village to which they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. So here's a guy they spent seven miles walking with, and he gave them an Old Testament Bible study on prophecy. Don't ever apologize for an inappropriate interest in prophecy. You guys are prophecy nuts. Yes, we are. Fanatics. Why? Because the first thing Jesus Christ did after his resurrection was to give an Old Testament prophecy Bible study. But then a strange thing came to pass that he sat eating with them. He took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. That's strange. I thought he was the guest. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight. Their eyes were opened. Now what happened? Some scholars validly say, well, whatever supernatural thing was veiling him was removed and they now saw who he was. That's, I can't quarrel with that. But there's another view that I tend to lean toward that they, when they saw him break the bread, something happened to let them realize who it was that was sitting at the table. And the conjecture is, it's a conjecture, I want to emphasize that, is that they, saw, they probably saw the nail prints in his wrists. Or we say in his hands, but actually the wrists. Interesting. Why did they not recognize him at first? Something's going on here. Okay, then we go a little further. Verse 33. You see, he and then immediately when they know who he is, he vanishes because he's got a date back in Jerusalem. And the uh, same hour, he turns to Jerusalem. They're all gathered. And they're ready to eat bread. And verse 36, as they spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened, supposed that they had seen a spirit. Now, I'm puzzled by that, too. If they saw a spirit that looked like Christ, they might be startled, might be surprised. Why would they be frightened? Frightened of the Lord? Come on, gang. Maybe a little confused. It's been a tough time the last few days. But they're terrified. And frightened. He said, Why are you troubled? Why do you why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Here again, he identifies himself. He apparently needs to, with his hands and his feet. As I'm, Behold my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Handle me and see. A spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. He's tangible. He's not an ephemeral you know, holographic image or something. He is tangible. You know that several. He said, first of all, spirit has not flesh and bones as ye see me have. It doesn't say flesh and blood. Flesh and bones as ye see me have. And we had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, yet believed, while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said to them, have you anything to eat? <laughs> you know, it's not your run-of-the-mill ghost says, hey, I'm hungry. You got something to eat. You know? No, he's tangible. It's a resurrection body. But there's something about him that bothers them. He has to show them his wounds to confirm who it is 
that's standing before him. Rather interesting. Let's pop over to John chapter 20. And again, we're in a post-resurrection uh, period here. Mary Magdalene, verse 11, Mary stood outside of the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked in the sepulcher and seeth two angels sitting, one at the head and the other feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said, And because they have taken away my Lord. I love that. My Lord. Not the Lord. My Lord. Can you say that? Is he your Lord? And I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. This is Mary Magdalene. She worshipped him like probably none other. Like probably none other. And she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener. That interests me for several reasons. First of all, she just assumes he's some kind of hireling. She doesn't know who he is. It's also interesting that the first gardener blew it. A guy by the name of Adam. <laughs> this gardener undid what Adam screwed up. Kind of interesting phrase. She thought he was a gardener. I like that. She's thinking the gardener saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him from here, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Now, I'd like to see that. This kid, this gal, is going to take the body. Show me where he is. I'm going to take him away. I don't know where she could take him. But you can just see where she's coming from. Then verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Interesting passage. Question I have for you tonight is, I'm puzzled. The, 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 the disciples on the Emmaus Road don't recognize him. In the upper room, they don't recognize him because he, he uh, has to show them his, his wounds to, to verify his identity. Here's Mary, who loved him, doesn't recognize him in the garden until she really hears his voice, apparently. My conjecture is that it was the voice that tipped her off. But something's wrong here. Turn to the next chapter, chapter 21. It's funny, when, you, when you're under stress, you usually, and it's good hygiene, emotional hygiene, is to retreat to something that you're good at. You've got a big defeat at uh, you know, of some kind, and you should do something, whether it's a game of racquetball or a game of chess or something. Do something that you can win at. It's good, good therapy. Well, the disciples are unglued. They've had a tough time. It's been a time of confusion and setback and whatever. And uh, so they're gathering in confusion. And Simon Peter says, I go fishing. Understandable. He was a fisherman. He loved fishing. And that's something he knew how to do. So they're going to go fishing. And they all say, hey, we'll go with you. They went forth, entered a boat immediately. And that night... It's an all-night deal. They caught nothing. When morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples knew not that it was Jesus. That's interesting. Here again. Now, that's understandable because he's on the, sea sh on the shore, right? Silhouette maybe in the morning mist. Who knows? And they see somebody and, hey, guys, you catch anything? No. Put your net on the other side of the boat. Now, hang on. You know, that, how do the fish know? I'm reminded, 
When uh, my kids were very small, my business partner, Don, Don Rankin and I were the guys that brought Walter Martin on the West Coast. Don and I were doing things in those days together. And Don, Don called me and said, uh, hey, let's take the kids fishing. Let's go Saturday morning, go out to the Newport Pier and just do something. Hey, good idea, Don, why not? So we got up, we we're going to get up early in the morning, five or whatever, and go out there and, and do that. Well, I mentioned to the bo- two boys, two small boys, hey, we was like, oh, that's neat, Dad. And then Lisa overheard this, a little, their younger sister. Oh, can I go? Of course, the, that was very popular with the boys. You know, you'll take girls fishing, you know. Sure, she can come along. Oh, Dad, does she? Have, you know, anyway, we all pile in. We go out to the Newport Pier. And uh, we get by a bucket of bait, and we hook up a fish. And Lisa, who must have been, I don't know, how she, I forgot how old she was, maybe five or six, throws it over the side of the pier. And right now, like in 10 seconds, she gets a 28-inch halibut. <laughs> well, and of course, they drop the net down there, bring it up. And of course, she's, this is, she thought fishing's pretty good. But that's a lot of fun, you know. And... Uh, it was fun to watch her disappointment when she did it the second time and didn't come right away. I thought every 10 seconds you're supposed to catch a big fish. And, of course, it, we have a picture of her, and it's as big as she is. She, we had to help her hold it next to her to get a picture. She, it was a big deal for her. She had a wonderful time. It was great. But the reason I bring up the story, it was fascinating, because then after the, we got the kids reset up again with lines and their ten lines, Don and I went down to the end to get a cup of coffee and just talk. But as we walked down, both of us noticed something interesting. Here's the Newport Pier, populated with these older guys that, do that every day. You know, they're out there. That's what they do. That's their thing. They fish all the time. Most of them moved over to our side of the pier. <laughs> this little kid got the house. It must be better there. And and I remember sitting, and I'm, I don't, I'm no expert on fishing, but I couldn't help but think, I found myself thinking about how do the fish know? One side of the, I mean, you know, the whole thing intrigued me. What also intrigued me, there's one guy that I overheard. He packed up his tackle and went off the pier mumbling. I've been at this place every day for a year, and I have never caught a fish like that. And he, he gave up. He went home. And I thought, boy, that's <laughs> human nature is interesting. I always think of that here, because here, here they, on the one hand, didn't catch anything. Well, put your net on the other side of the boat. Now, John's the perceptive one that caused him to realize this was the Lord, because this happened before. It's a trademark, so to speak. So John realizes Christ. Of course, John does the analysis. Peter takes the action. Peter's my kind of guy. Ready, fire, then aim, right? It's the Lord. Okay. And then when Peter heard it was the Lord, he dove in and swam to shore. Peter swims ashore, and when he gets there, verse 9, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals and the fish laid on it and bread. Baked bread, made breakfast. That's what the Lord did while he was waiting for these guys to bring in the catch. Kind of interesting. Jesus said to them, bring the fish that you uh, now have caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net and so forth. Then we get to this verse 12. Boy, I don't know what verse 12 means. Jesus said to them, come and dine. Okay. And then we've got this very strange sentence. And none of the disciples dare ask him, who art thou, knowing it was the Lord. You say, Chuck, what does that mean? I have no idea. Let me tell you what I mean. You and your spouse are driving to a, a banquet about a, an hour away. And about half an hour after driving, you turn to your wife and say, By the way, did you turn off the stove? If she says yes, we keep on driving. Enjoy the, enjoy the evening, right? Suppose she says, I'm sure I did. What do you do? 
You turn around and go check, right? Because there's something, you know, if I say yes, affirmatively, period, no modifiers, you take it, right? Accept it. But if I say, I'm sure I did, you're not sure, are you? You see? That's what I hear when I see this phrase. And none of the disciples dare ask him, Who art thou? Well, first of all, why would it occur to them? It apparently occurred to them, but they didn't dare ask. Because they knew it was the Lord. What's going on on the Emmaus Road? They don't recognize him. In the upper room, they're frightened. Mary Magdalene, who loved him, didn't recognize him. Something's going on. Now, I want to demonstrate something to you. That the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Turn to Isaiah chapter 50. We know a lot about the crucifixion. Most of what you and I know about the crucifixion physically, we know from the gospel accounts how Jesus was taken and abused by the Romans. They made fun of him. They spit on him. They mocked him. They put on a crown of thorns. They, the soldiers, had their way with them. They abused him and scourged him and the whole routine. In Isaiah 53, which we'll take up next time we'll get it, it, later on, it, it mentions that they beat him up so badly that he no longer looked like a man. The Hebrew is not translated in the English. The King James translator tries tried to spare you the real impact of the Hebrew. We'll take that up when we get you know, next week, that part of it. But the abuse, the physical abuse of Jesus Christ at the crucifixion is something that with all the vividness of detail in the New Testament is still incomplete. There is a detail that for some reason is not mentioned in the New Testament and probably fortunately is omitted in the movies and renderings you see as an art form of the crucifixion. I want you to notice verse 6, which I believe is prophetic of our suffering servant that Isaiah is building up to. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Simply put, they ripped off his beard. This is very vivid to me. I can remember when I was chairman of one of the major companies that was an electronics business. I had a software team, and the head of my software group was a guy that happened to always wear a big, full beard. I knew him that way. I worked with him for over a year and a half, face-to-face. -face. Every day I'd see him. Got my name of Joe. Then one day, for, because he apparently had some kind of skin infection, and he had to shave his beard off for something that he was involved in. And uh, one day he came to work without his beard. Now, this is a guy I worked with every day. Personally, he came down the hall. I was coming down to my, going down the hall to my office. I did not wreck. I thought he was a stranger, somebody visiting the plant. Fortunately for me, somebody else also came down the hall and said, Hey, Joe, and asked him some question. And it triggered. I realized, my goodness, that's Joe. And I realized I wouldn't have. I would have been really embarrassed because it was a very full beard. I used to see him that way. Without the beard, he looked so different than I was used to that to me he was a stranger. And that event dramatized to me what I suspect, this is all conjecture, 
what I suspect was going on. Did Jesus Christ bear the scars of his humiliation in his post-resurrection body? Absolutely. That's what the nail prints in the hands and the wound in the side are all about, right? Right? And by the way, while I'm on that subject, let me take another excursion. <laughs> Turn to Zechariah 13. Another insight that has to do with all of this. When I was a teenager, I happened to be on a prophecy memory kick. I was a, uh, I happened to run, I came across 13.6, Zechariah 13, verse 6, where it says, And one shall say unto them, What are these wounds in thine hands? And one shall answer, I mean, and he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I thought, Wow, wounds in the hands, that's a prophecy thing. I, in those days, would take a little card and I'd write the verse on one side and the reference on the other and put it in my little group to try to, you know, learn it. That was on the, I was on the kick in those days. But then as I started to try to memorize it, I began to realize, I don't know what that says. Wait a minute. Come on here. It says, what? It says, uh, one shall say to them, what are these wounds in thine hands? Okay. Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Well, I had a problem right there because I could not visualize a group of timbers up on a, on a hill in Judea, surrounded by Roman soldiers, driving these nails into his hands on this hill as being the house of his friends. Now, you can use very gracious idioms idioms regards to the Roman soldiers, but I would not call that the house of his friend. But then I had another problem. What are these wounds in the hands? Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And then I realized what this is really talking about. I remembered how in the Gospels, when he appears that first night, they're all shocked and surprised, right? But there's one that's missing. Remember Thomas? He wasn't present that night. And so the next day or whenever, they run the time. Hey, Thomas, boy, you should have been at the Bible study. Last night, let me tell you who showed up, you know. And he probably said something like, yeah, yeah, I hear you. But unless I put my fingers in his nail prints and my hand on his side, I can't buy that story. So next time they're all together, Thomas with him. And once again, Jesus appears. And this time he says, okay, Thomas. Right? And Thomas falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, Thomas, you've seen and believed. Blessed are they who have not seen and believed. Right? You all know the story. I think Zechariah, writing 800 years before Christ was born, translated into Greek, three centuries before he was born, listened to the voice of Jesus. What are these wounds in thine hands? Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. What wounded Jesus Christ was not the spikes driven by the Romans. In the spirit he's talking about here. What hurt him was Thomas's doubt, his unbelief. That's what wounded him. Interesting, interesting element. Does Jesus Christ bear the scars of his humiliation? Yes, we see that in the Gospels. What we are not prepared for, what would never occurs to us unless we read Isaiah very carefully is that among the abuses of the Romans, they tore off his beard. What does that do to a guy? Yes, it heals or scar tissue. Does that mean he's disfigured? It's interesting, when we get to Revelation chapter 6, let's turn back to Revelation chapter, excuse me, chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. John is transported through time ahead in heaven. In time, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. 
And if you've done your homework in Jeremiah 32 in the book of Ruth, you know it's a title deed, apparently of the whole earth. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no man in heaven or in earth, neither under the earth. That in itself is an interesting dichotomy. Neither no man in heaven nor on earth nor either under the earth is able to open the scroll, neither to look upon it. It had to be a man. That's interesting. It had to be a kinsman of Adam. We're talking about redemption here, the laws of redemption. It's a title deed. had to be a kinsman. No man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the scroll, neither to look upon it. And I wept much, or literally I sobbed convulsively because no man was found worthy to open to, and to read the book, neither to look upon it. You and I don't understand what's going on, but John did. John understood the significance that if no man could be found, we were all in trouble. But that's the generalization. Now we have the exception. One of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. Those are both titles of whom? Jesus Christ. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed or overcome to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood what? The lion? Yes, but by another title. The lion of the tribe of Judah is one title. Here's another title. The lamb, as it had been slain. That's interesting. When Jesus Christ first appears publicly, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's, his, that's a very Jewish title. The, lamb, the Passover Lamb. What's the Lamb? Why is it a Lamb? Why is it, what's the destiny of the Lamb? To be slain. But here we see the Lamb as it had been slain. Having seven hordes and seven eyes. and Those are, those are as a quote from Isaiah 11. And so forth. <laughs> Somebody once said, there's only one man-made thing in heaven. That's Christ's scars. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Isaiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android App Store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.